Hi, welcome to Meta Minute, your bite-sized pieces of the Metaverse. My name is Rene from Reply, and today we're going to talk about 3D capturing, nerves, and the Metaverse. And I'm honored to have a special expert guest today, my fellow colleague, Michael Cruz. Hi, Michael. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm also doing great, and it's good to see you and, and talk with you about some exciting stuff in the 3D capturing world. But before we do that, um, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background as it relates to you know development, programming, 3D, AR, VR, game development, whatever you have. Sounds good. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I work with Retail Reply. Uh, I'm a tech consultant, but uh, I've kind of really spend a lot of time and focus on innovation and I'm really interested in kind of so many different spaces around uh, you know AI uh, immersive technologies I'm talking about the metaverse um, and kind of you know exploring and, and researching into all of these areas and I, I really am uh, passionate in particular around computer graphics and kind of all of these different technologies and we'll talk a bit more about the capture stuff but uh, I, I started kind of looking into augmented reality and uh, uh, service reconstruction when I was in university so kind of spent uh, a lot of those early days kind of researching into the space and kind of learning a lot around these topics. Uh, and more recently, I've been working in the spatial COP alongside Rene, uh, exploring kind of uh, and researching 3D capturing technologies. And, you know, the, what can we use machine learning for as well in terms of content creation and kind of uh, that space, I think is super interesting to me. It is super interesting. It's good fun working with you, that's for sure. Um, so, But let's start with a simple but also complex question I usually ask to every guest. I think I ask it to every guest. Maybe not everyone, but most, most at least. So what is the metaverse for you and where do you see the potential? Yeah, I think I think that's a, it's a big question because I, I feel like there's so many... Uh, different definitions I've heard over the years, and it's just like the, there's no one, nobody agrees on exactly one definition. But I think for me, uh, the metaverse is kind of all about thinning the line between kind of the real and the digital. So making kind of, um, you know, using simulations, uh, real-time data, and kind of leveraging all of this incredible digital information, but also what we can capture from the real world to kind of make a seamless experience where, you, where people can just... Uh, you know, go through their daily lives or jump onto these sorts of experiences, uh, you know, socialize and have all these sorts of experiences with people across the world in a really seamless manner, right? Um, the key things as well, like, uh, in my, for me, is inter interoperability. So people from different areas, different platforms, different, level, different levels of access, you know, having that sort of uh, availability for it is massive. And I think in terms of the, the big impact areas, I really think uh, education and learning at any level, right? So we're talking from, you know, learning at early stages to uh, doctors training and learning. It's like, I think there's so much potential there for, for massive impact. And there already is things happening that, you know, can reflect that. But, and then the other main one, which I use personally is for kind of the social and the entertainment aspect. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's just so much potential for connecting us better with each other, uh, uh, you know, talking to to your friends, having some social time, but with people who, you know, could be across the world, right? So it's just so incredible, but the potential there to connect us all, you know? Yeah, yeah. and I fully agree also what you're saying about the social aspect. I think that's really an important um, part of it. There's a lot of folks have these misconceptions like, oh, they are putting on these VR headset and now they're isolated and no one no one is with them and they're you know just on their own and so on but actually what you're doing is you're meeting a lot of people although they are virtual as avatars uh, i mean you're still very much socializing right like yeah. online 100 yeah, 100 agree with that and i think that 
you know, we, we might be uh, cartoony avatars at the moment, but there's, you know, with all the capture technology we're going to talk about, uh, there are examples that, you know, we will have kind of photorealistic avatars and, and there's going to be a lot less barrier between what is, uh, you know, a real interaction and kind of having these virtual sort of uh, chats. But I, th I think, I think they, they still have so much value potentially to connect people. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for Metaverse stuff, like 3D content is surely needed. And content creation has always been a, a big topic, a big challenge. Um, you know, you need very skilled people to create content, and even more so in 3D, right? You need to have a solid uh, education in 3D modeling, 3D animation. There's even like different categories for 3D model laws, like character model laws, like, you know, environment model laws, like prop model laws, and whatnot. Yeah, it's very special. And so, very dedicated task, obviously. And like I said, you know, these metaverse worlds live from 3D content. Without 3D content, it's empty. It's just a blank, flat plane, whatever. Um, and so, 3D capturing might provide an opportunity here, right? So, can you tell us how can 3D capturing help? And can you also explain different approaches, you know, ranging from lidar photogrammetry and what have you, and maybe some examples of applications? 100 i'd be happy to so i think like you said i think um it's all about that sort of uh barrier to entry that we have currently with 3d content right so we and, and you know the thing about the metaverse it's all uh i think fundamentally gonna be uh you know uh you know, a creator economy, right? So people being able to create content and share it with their friends and that barrier is still quite a hurdle to get over. So um, we definitely need to kind of reduce that barrier. Things like Blender and Unity have really opened up things because, you know, this the access has now become so much easier. Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, so the, the capture side of things is what we, we've really been focusing on because I think, you know, why don't we leverage the real world and the fact that we already have, you know, photorealistic <laughs> kind of things around us that we can kind of bring into these environments and make really nice looking assets. So we, we kind of worked uh, with quite a lot of different approaches. Um, kind of the, the, you know, the ones that I think are probably the most, most well-known and kind of fundamental are obviously LiDAR and photogrammetry. I just to kind of give it a really high level detail overview of, of both of them. So I think with LiDAR, uh, it's all about laser laser pulses and we're kind of using a, a, an emitter and a, which sends out all these laser pulses across distance. Uh, when it hits an object, it reflects back and basically we just measure the time that it takes, so time of flight, and that allows us to get a really accurate measurement of kind of the distance from one point to the next. Uh, if you do this like many, many times, over a surface, you kind of get this really accurate representation of that object, right? So it's incredible for capturing, you know, uh, measurements and for construction for all these approaches where you really need a super accurate model of the environment or an object. Um, so yeah, so uh, we've been exploring this with uh, the BLK2 Go. So from Leica, it's like a handheld scanner. So it's quite uh, an interesting uh, piece of kit, which is, is different from traditional photogrammetry because it actually allows you to move around and uh, uses uh, SLAM. So it allows uh, tracking to kind of position you in space. So, you know, you can theoretically uh, scan, you know, a massive area as long as you can walk around. So it's, it's been really interesting to work with it. And we've scanned buildings, you know, six floors, Kind of going through all the floors and, and getting really accurate representation of, of, of those buildings. Uh, one thing to mention with for with LiDAR in particular is that it doesn't inherently capture color. So what you end up getting is really accurate measurements, but not necessarily the most accurate representation of the color and the surface itself. There are techniques to colorize point clouds. And for example, the BLK2GO does colorize based on images that it takes. But <clears throat> 
it's not going to give you, I would say, some techniques will, but most techniques will not give you that super accurate kind of surface detail that you might need for a real-time 3D experience, especially when you want to go to kind of the, the really nice detail, right? Uh, but, you know, one thing to mention about LiDAR, like, you know, we use the BLK2Go, which is a really nice enterprise piece of kit, but a lot of modern devices and mobile phones now have LiDAR cameras in them, which is kind of fantastic to see, right? So you can actually leverage them to create your own really accurate 3D scans. So if you've got an iPhone Pro or um, uh, quite a few Android devices also have them integrated. Uh, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting piece of kit which helps augmented reality, right? Be more stable, but also you can use it to kind of create 3D captures of the environment. Yeah. But yeah, and, and then I think with photogrammetry, you get the other side of the coin where uh, you don't necessarily get the accurate measurements, but what you do get is a really nice representation of the object itself. Basically, just by capturing a couple images, or quite a few images normally, of the object from different angles with a good overlap, uh, it's, it, allow, it allows it to kind of create, you know, identify features on the surface of the object and estimate kind of a point cloud. So it's kind of like trying to mimic the LiDAR point cloud, but, you know, guessing where, where these points should be uh, with a lot of input of the data. And, you know, it's, it's then creating the mesh and then projecting the textures itself onto the object. So you get a really nice object that's normally quite accurate. The one thing that's key is that I think photogrammetry fundamentally is, is quite um, uh, experience-based. Like if you, if you do it a lot, you will get better at it. And it takes a while for you to get really nice captures out of it, at least traditionally, right? So we've explored applications that can really help with the process, but just by guiding the users a little bit with a lot of, you know, because you could use your experience, you can really help the, them kind of build these really nice scans. Uh, and, and, you know, we've been using Polycam, which allows you to do LiDAR and photogrammetry, uh, and it kind of helps guide the user quite well. And also, um, Things like Reality reality Scan, which uh, is a completely free application you can use, uh, and that allows you to do incredibly high detail photogrammetry, but on a mobile phone, right? So you can get really detailed meshes. Uh, those normally are quite hard to deal with, though, so you need to yeah. process them in post. But uh, uh, it, so it's definitely a bit of still a barrier of entry there, but I think things like Polycam, for example, can give you different quality of meshes that you can literally just plug and play and drop them into Unity or Unreal Engine and then leverage them in your real-time 3D experiences. Yeah. And that's that's pretty exciting. And I think also the uh, how you described it, there are different use cases for both, right? And and both have their place. Well, and, and you just highlighted like the two, right? There's multiple more. And we're going to talk about it because there's this immense progress in artificial intelligence mm. and uh, you know in a in a category that is also affecting 3D capturing. Um, we're talking about neural radiance fields or short NERF. And, uh, but there's also another, another thing um, popping up since the last couple of weeks or months here, um, this Gaussian splitting, which is actually not using neural networks, um, surprisingly, um, but of course it, it used some training internally. Um, but NERFs, of course, are AI-based. But anyhow, can you please explain these two novel approaches and the, the pros and the cons, also especially compared to the more classical capturing methods you just talked about? Yeah, 100%. I think it's like... It's kind of crazy. Like it, this area and a lot of other areas in tech right now are moving at incredible speeds. Like we're seeing all the stuff with generative AI, and you know, in general, we're looking at all of these sort of uh, what we're talking about now, which is uh, novel view synthesis. That's kind of like the research area. So it's basically mm -hmm. the idea of you've got a couple images of an object or scene. How can we create a new view? of that scene, right, With, that wasn't in the original data set. So we've, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, when you think about photogrammetry, you've got a couple of views and then you create a 3D model from it. In this case, you're actually creating the views themselves, right? So 
There's quite a few uh, techniques. It's actually quite an old research area, but recently it's just been growing massively. And uh, I think the original NERF paper came out in 2020, but since then we've had like hundreds of different types of like NERF variants and NERF extensions, which have like specialized areas. Uh, and, you know, just fundamentally NERFs, just to give an understanding, it stands for neural radiance field. Uh, and it's it's uh, basically, a f I think it's a fully connected uh, neural network uh, trained on an image set, which allows it to uh, render novel views. Uh, and it does this with volume rendering. So it's, it's kind of leveraging a couple of other old techniques, uh, but it's uh, allowing you to kind of use that neural network to generate density and color values across this sort of volume, right? So you get uh, this interesting representation of the scene that allows you to not just capture uh, views of you know what the surface is, but also it, it captures uh, lighting effects, right? So this is this is massive because you get photorealism, right, uh, out of the box, which I mean, is super hard to do. If we talk, if you talk about like meshes, creating a really nice photorealistic mesh has a lot of steps in the process. If you look at the, any VFX workflow, if you look at any game development workflow, it's quite an intensive process. So the ability for this to capture that sort of kind of lighting and material details that you know, it's super interesting. Again, because these are based on novel view synthesis, it doesn't necessarily produce a mesh as we traditionally know it. So it's, it, it, there is like these barriers that we're still learning how to push beyond them. Uh, how can we use these in uh, different experiences uh, and leverage them uh, alongside maybe meshes and, and, and traditional methods? And the other aspect of NERFs in particular is that um, they're quite computationally intensive, right? So it's not an approach. It's not a process that's really easy to run. Um, so it can, you know, it can be a couple of frames per second, but it won't be that sort of real time 60, 100 FPS per second. Uh, there are like new extensions. Uh, I mean, Instant Nerf is an example which can actually run in real time, but it still is not quite fully real time, right? You get quite a few FPS, but you're not 100. It's not. Uh, you're not getting the similar experience that you would do with traditional rasterization and rendering techniques. Uh, but it's you know it's getting there, and you can see that every new iteration improves the quality of nerves and also how fast they can run, right? And what's what's uh, interesting seeing now is that we were all thinking, okay, perfect, neural networks are the way to go <laughs> with uh, no view sensor this, yeah. and then suddenly uh, out of nowhere Gaussian splatting comes out, um, and it's it's this is an interesting one. We haven't had as much of a chance to kind of explore this in depth and research into it, but I think it's definitely something that we're going to be looking into. But uh, yeah, so uh, unlike nerves, they don't really use uh, neural networks. Uh, how you can think about it is it basically is an unstructured point cloud, which uh, for each of the points, they've been replaced with uh, what you call a, three, a 3D Gaussian. So these 3D Gaussians have certain values and they can have uh, skews to them. So what you do is you basically fit these Gaussians to, uh, from the perspective of the original images so they best match the values of the image, right? So this is kind of a simplified uh, explanation. But what you end up getting is you'll end up getting a really accurate three-dimensional representation of the, the object and the scene itself. Um, so yeah, so like you mentioned, it is still trained. So you, you basically have to train it off the original images so you can fit the 3D Gaussians to, to best accurately represent the scene. And these are optimized further by you know, splitting when they need to to add more detail and by merging when they need to to kind of you know, re reduce the need and the uh, content there. So I think 
the key thing with th uh, Gaussian splatting, and, and uh, they call them splats, which is quite the, for the fun name for a capture using Gaussian splatting, is that they, they run in uh, you know real time or beyond real time. I've seen them run at like 200 FPS, 100 FPS, and they can really be now leveraged uh, within uh, augmented reality immersive technologies. You can actually use them in this uh, context, or web even as well, right? So it's a, it, this is like the next jump, right, in the technology. Uh, but then you still have the one caveat is that it, they take a lot of storage, right? And so so they expect, they're, they're cheap to run, but expensive to store because mm -hmm. you have these point clouds that are very dense, but then you also have the Gaussian data on top of that. So it's, you, you kind of, uh, you know, nerfs and Gaussians, uh, Gaussian splatting both have uh, their benefits, but I was just, it's just, I'm really excited to see kind of where this goes, right? So kind of where technology advances and kind of how we can leverage it. Uh, and we'll definitely be looking into it more and more uh, as things change. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the classic trade-off in, in uh, you know, computation or computer science is like always the trade-off, like, you know, either more memory or more computational power. And it's always, you know, you yeah. can cache a lot, like use a lot of memory and, and execute faster or compute on the fly and use less memory for storage. And it, it, turns, it seems like Gaussian splits use a lot of uh, VRAM, uh, a lot of memory to actually um, unpack a lot of things. Um, but um, I think there's also some some experiments with Gaussian splits also in terms of relighting and uh, having, yeah. having different shading, right? So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I think I think uh, when we talk about relighting, that's a big area within just the entirety of novel view synthesis. Because uh, even with nerfs, uh, one of the key things, one of the benefits, but also one of the drawbacks uh, of both of these techniques is that they, you capture a really accurate representation of the environment, but you capture all the lighting and shadows and everything in there as well, which is a problem with any 3D capture technique, right? But in these cases, they do it so accurately that now when you're trying to change the lighting conditions, you you, you get up with a kind of weird mess, uh, at least with nerves, right? So Gaussian splatting, uh, there are now approaches coming out which you can really completely relight the, 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 the scene or the object, and it's just incredible uh, examples of that. Um, and just to, just to go into that a bit more, um, I've also seen examples of Gaussian splatting because it runs so fast uh, of uh, kind of temporal content, right? So you're talking about videos over time. So you, you, if you have a, a camera array, for example, you can capture uh, videos of uh, an, an actor or a scene, and then you can have a really accurate representation of uh, the, the movement over time. And actually, uh, a new paper um, was by the same guys who produced uh, the Gaussian splatting paper, uh, kind of presented this as a concept, right? So uh, tempor uh, with temporal, which allows you also to track objects over time in that space, which is super interesting. Um, and again, so just quickly, because because um, what's the benefits from these two to, to kind of our, our techniques is because they're photorealistic, we are seeing them used a lot in like VFX, and like volumes, I don't know if you've heard of these before, but it's like if you look at things like the Mandalorian, they've got these virtual sets, right? LED walls. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. So, so Unreal Engine is a big uh, with all their photo, photo scanned elements. It's always is used a lot in this space, right? But what if you can now out of the box go to an environment you want to film in, capture it, and now suddenly you can now film in your uh, studio, right? With more Ooh. control and all those sort of uh, aspects. So I think there's a lot of interesting use cases that I think are really interesting. And with Gaussian splatting, uh, I wanted to mention this other workflow, which I am experimenting with right now, is the idea that um, you can actually train a Gaussian splat on, on a 3D model or 3D render. Now, why would you want to do that? So, uh, you know, 
rendering um, kind of all of the lighting effects in a super accurate way in like ray tracing and like fully traced path, so not ray tracing, fully path traced uh, render can take a couple seconds per frame. So it's not, no, in no way is it real time. But if you render uh, all of these uh, images beforehand and then train a Gaussian splat, it, it takes a lot of time at first, but then once you can, you have that final output, you can visualize it in real time. So it's like you get that sort of photorealism from a uh, kind of uh, path traced uh, render. So it's like kind of, you know, there, there are, it's an interesting thing that you don't necessarily need to use these techniques with the real world as well. Yeah. Well, that's actually pretty interesting. So synthesizing or synthesized data, like artificial data, and having a very high photorealistic rendering, which would be offline um, and not capable of, of uh, real-time rendering, and then you you do a Gaussian splat capture, and then you have it real-time. That's that's pretty clever, actually. I like that. Well, uh, Michael, thank you so much. Um, we're already at the end of the show. That was fantastic to hear about it. And folks, um, if you're listening, depending when you're listening to this episode or watching the video podcast, uh, which I would always recommend, um, I don't know if our paper is already out, but we're about to publish a brochure, a paper about um, all of this, where you can see also an analysis of different mobile apps. And uh, yeah, depending when, when you listen to this, it might already be out or it might be coming out. Regardless, check reply.com. Um, to find out and follow our social media channels. We're short to share this. But anyhow, thank you, Michael, so much. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Um, thank you for joining us and sharing all these insights about capturing. It's truly an exciting space. And uh, thank you so much. It's very much appreciated. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Rene. All right. And thanks, everyone, for joining us for Meta Minutes, your bite-sized pieces of the Metaverse. I already said, watch our website, reply.com, for the paper, for the brochure, and other reports, actually, in that area. But, of course, you can also find all the previous episodes of our podcast here on our website and also follow our social media channels to not miss any new episodes. Um, until then, thank you so much. Take care and see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.